The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his field. In the name of the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Well, the first Sunday of the month is usually Youth and Children's Sunday around here, and it is accompanied by a children's message. So you can run away. (laughs) Or... If you're young or young in heart and would like to come up to the front and uh, participate, you're welcome to do that too. Good morning. How's everybody? Yeah? Good morning. Glad to see you all. So I have a question for you. How many of you like to travel or go on trips? Yeah? What's the favorite trip that you like to go? What's the favorite place you like to go when you travel? Do you have a favorite place? Do you have a place that you'd like to go, but your parents haven't taken you yet? What would that place be? Paris. That would be a fun trip. All right, Matt, you're up. <laughs> it's, it's recorded and going online. <laughs> So how about this? How about a trip? Now think about a trip that you've gone on that you've enjoyed. What if you couldn't take anything with you on that trip? Like it was just you and you couldn't take a toothbrush or your iPhone. Well, maybe you're a little young for that, but maybe you're not. Or you couldn't take your favorite teddy bear or animal that you like. Like you couldn't take anything on this trip. Would that be a little bit strange? It might be. It might be. Well, here's an interesting thing. I want to tell you not so much about a trip, but about a journey. Jesus sent his disciples on what's sometimes called a a mission trip, right? We heard about him sending them out two by two this morning. But it's really not so much a trip as it is a journey. And it's a lifelong journey that God calls all of us to go on. And he said that we don't really require anything for this journey. Like we shouldn't take a bunch of other stuff that prohibits us from doing what we're supposed to do on the journey. And the journey is a very simple journey in one sense because it involves a message, a message of not just good news, but the greatest news that the world has ever heard. And that message can really be given in three sentences. I'm going to say them, and then we'll see if you guys can say them along with me. And maybe this is a message that you can carry on whatever journey or whatever trip you go on from now until the rest of your lives. You ready for the message? Here's a message. It's real simple. God loves you. Jesus forgives you. And the Holy Spirit wants to be with you forever. Is that pretty simple? Sounds like pretty good news too. You ready? God loves you. Jesus forgives you. And the Holy Spirit wants to be with you forever. Yeah? Can we do it one more time? God loves you. Jesus forgives you. And the Holy Spirit wants to be with you forever. Now that's a pretty awesome message. And it doesn't require any toothbrushes or any travel bags for you to take that message on whatever journey you ever go on. You ready? God loves you. Jesus forgives you. And the Holy Spirit wants to be with you forever. Amen. All right. Thank you. So as you all know, last Sunday marked the beginning 
the beginning of a short sermon series that the Holy Spirit in, inspired me to preach these three weeks, having to do with some very basic principles in the kingdom of God. Last week we took up the first and most important principle in the kingdom of God, the first order of business, if you will, which is the call to conversion, the call to be converted. That is, turning away from the world, the flesh, and the devil, and turning to the grace and mercy and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, the hope of everlasting life, that thing that He won for us on the hardwood of the cross of Calvary by His crucifixion turning away from the world, the flesh, and the devil, and turning toward light and life through His forgiveness of sins and the hope of everlasting life. So the question for today is, well, what's next? What, what do we do now, having received this glorious good news, right? God loves you, Jesus forgives you, and the Holy Spirit wants to be with you forever. Having received this glorious news of the Gospel, what do we do now? Well, would you believe that there's even more good news. In fact, it's incredible news, and if you think about it, it's pretty awesome to consider that, that God loves us enough that He would want for us to do the stuff. To do the stuff that is just like the disciples did the stuff that we read about in this morning's uh, Gospel lesson, just like we find written in the Scriptures. We get to do the stuff. And I thought about an example that's kind of appropriate to the 4th of July as we think about things that we maybe like to do over the summer. Something I love to do as a child, which is play baseball. And, and, and if I love baseball, then, then, then I want to talk about baseball to anyone and everyone that I can find, right? I'm, I'm pretty enamored with the sport. But more than just talk about baseball, guess what I want to do? I, I want to play baseball. I will spend time gathering people around, rounding up my friends in the neighborhood, and try to get a baseball game going. And if that doesn't work, then, then I'll drag my dad out into the yard to stand there and throw the baseball with me until we throw our arms off, right? I mean, if, if I really love baseball, I'm invested in it in every way that I can imagine. And I was like that as a kid. I loved the game of baseball. Well, my friends... How much more then with the gospel? How much more with the good news of the gospel, the saving grace of Jesus Christ? So this morning God inspired me just, just to share with you a story about doing the Christian stuff. A story that happened to me in my life, a story that some of you have heard before. I hope it's worth telling again. I hope it will serve as a source perhaps of inspiration for us in our Christian walk a source of joy for us as we contemplate doing the stuff of Christianity. It's the story of a mission trip that I took to Uganda in 2003 at a time when a group of us in seminary got to experience doing the stuff of the Bible. It made a very, very deep, lasting, profound impact upon my life, and I hope that it might serve to inspire you as well. You see, about ten of us, very white very American seminarians, flew from our seminary in Wisconsin when we eventually arrived at the Anglican Cathedral in Kampala, Uganda, right there in the heart of Uganda, right there in the center of, you remember, the atrocities of Idi Amin and the horrors that took place in the 70s under his regime. And, and even in the midst of that, one Anglican bishop 
who stood firm in the faith among thousands of other Christians, and that's another story for another day. But that's where we were. That's where we were. We were right in the midst of that environment and that place and space in Christianity. Well, we arrived, and after, I guess, a fairly good night's sleep, as much as you could have, uh, we were the next day greeted by the dean of the cathedral and his staff of clergy. And we were told that very promptly we would be going out on a mission. Well, I don't know what my very uh, fellow seminarians thought, my very uh, fellow white and very fellow American seminarians from Wisconsin, who were, now let's put this in our context, used to wearing cassocks, you know, these things, and, and berettas, those hats with the pom-poms on the top, and, and we were used to swinging incense around the altar, right? That's, that's what we were doing day after day after day, being trained to be parish priests, and our seminary in Wisconsin. So that was, that was what we were accustomed to as we were extracted out of that environment and, and sent over to Kampala, Uganda. So we were told that we were going on a mission, and I can tell you what I thought. I don't know what they thought, but what I thought was, oh my gosh, we're about to get to do the stuff. I mean, I was really excited that we were about to get to go do the stuff. The stuff that's in the Bible that we, that we read about, Right? So one morning, we were, found ourselves assembled in the, in the living room of someone's home, one of the parishioners who was, if you will, a, a zone leader. You see, around the cathedral, they had uh, and, uh, divided the region, the neighborhoods around the cathedral, into four sort of zones. And, and we were sitting in one of the zone leaders' living room, all of us, and the, and the dean of the cathedral then divided us into four teams. He prayed a prayer for us, and then he said to us, Today we're going to go from house to house around the cathedral preaching the gospel. And after he said this, I then thought to myself, wait a minute, I can't do the stuff. I'm a very white, very American seminary student here in the midst of Uganda, Africa. I can't do the stuff. But none of that seemed to matter to the dean. In his mind, we were doing the stuff. So the stuff then started looking an awful lot like this morning's gospel. We were not allowed to take things along with us on this little mission trip. We could have nothing in terms of material goods. Nothing in terms of material goods. We, we couldn't take our water, our backpacks, our stuff. We had to depend completely upon the hospitality of those that we would go preach the gospel to in the neighborhoods. My friends, we weren't even allowed to take our Bibles with us. In fact, all we could take was our favorite Bible verse and our personal testimony. That is the story about how we came to know and love Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now, I could see, fortunately I'd done a lot of sword drills in my life, but some of the students were kind of flipping back and forth through the Bible thinking, I'm not going to tell you who they were, trying to find their favorite Bible verse. And that's, that's kind of one level of sort of desperation. But if you didn't have a personal testimony, well then, I'm surprised the dean didn't write our dean and say, these guys don't even have a testimony. I'm happy to say that none of that happened. Everybody had a personal testimony. Some of us were just a little less sort of, what shall we say, easy on finding our favorite Bible verse. But he gave us time and he gave us permission to figure all of that out. So then off we went, literally from house to plat house. Some places we were received and you could tell we were welcomed in. We, we sat down and then he would point to one of us and he would say, you, share your Bible verse and share your story. And one of the seminarians would, would do that. 
And then they would say, thank you very much, and they might give us tea or coffee or, or scones or something like that, and then we'd go to the next house. Some of the houses, conversely, we were rejected, and we knew that too. We went into one house that was full of a group of men who were, who were drunk very early in the morning. It was, it was um, sad to see, but, but the priest still pointed to one of the guys and said, share your Bible verse and your testimony, and, and he did, and, and you could tell they, they just weren't going to listen. They weren't able to pay attention to us, and we shook the dust off of our feet, and we went on to the next house. And it didn't really matter what we did. It's, it's all up to God anyway. But the neat thing was that as we would go from place to place, people would start to, to follow us. And I don't know if they were attracted to sort of very white, very American seminaries walking around their culture or the gospel. And again, it didn't really matter. It was up to God. But there's one story that I'll never forget. I will never forget when the dean of the seminary, and he was a tall man, 6'4", weighed a buck oh five because he was pretty fit and trim. I'll, I'll never forget this. He went walking up to this lady who was crouched over this charcoal fire and she was cooking something over it, something meaty and smelled very good, very attractive, very aromatic. And we walked up to her and it was clear that they knew one another. And, and he pointed out to her and, and they exchanged a conversation in their native tongue. And then very intentionally, he spoke to her in English and he said, do you, do you see those charcoals on that fire? And of course... We all, including her, acknowledged that they did. And he said, <clears throat> what happens when one of those charcoals goes out? What happens when one of those charcoals is taken away from the fire? Well, it, it goes out. And then he just looked at her, just like Jesus in the Bible, and he loved her, and he said, I miss you. We miss you in church. Will you come back? We miss seeing you. We, we love you. And we want you to be part of our fellowship and part of our community again. I mean, tears, just like now. You just saw Jesus loving that woman in that moment, using that very live, very real example to call her back to the faith. And it was awesome. I thought, man, we're doing the stuff. This is the stuff. So that was day one. And at the end of the day, we gathered to debrief and, and talk about our stories. And I mean, it was, it was incredible. Us very white, very American seminary students gathered around this living room, sharing our stories about doing the stuff, about how, how the experience of sharing a Bible verse and a testimony was, how it felt to be accepted, how it felt to be rejected, and how we saw our sovereign God at work in the midst of us. And we went home, and we went to bed, and we got up in the morning, the next morning, and, and guess what the priest said? We're going to go do the stuff. And my friends, day two had a very different feel than day one. I usually like to tell the story of day one because it's very emotional, it's very touching, it's very spiritual, and it is all of those things. But day two didn't feel anything like day one. I wasn't sure I wanted to go do the... I'd already done the stuff... <laughs> I wasn't sure I wanted to go do the stuff again, but he prayed over us. He divided us into groups, and he sent us out around the community, around the cathedral, and there we were doing the stuff again. And, and it just felt different. It felt this time like we had to want to do the stuff. In a sense, 
like we not just willed ourselves up by our own bootstraps, but we really had to rely on God to do this stuff because there weren't all of the emotional, sensational feelings that we had experienced the first day. In some sense, it was just down to you and Jesus and the raw spiritual willpower, listen carefully, of just outlasting the devil, of being more persistent, more methodical, more invested, more involved in people's lives than the devil is. Because you remember the readings from Scripture this morning. He sends us out as what? Lambs amidst the wolves. The wolves are hungry. The wolves don't give up. The wolves seek to destroy and devour their prey. And we had to be smarter than them. We had to outlast them. We had to endure more faithfully, more persistently. We had to rely more on Jesus than ever before, even in day two, than we did on day one. And we learned something about discipleship on that day. We learned about the persistence that it takes to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Sometimes, my friends, in Christianity, sometimes in being a disciple of Jesus Christ, you just have to make the decision that you're going to outlast the devil. You just have to decide that you're going to speak harder and last longer and talk more fervently and act more lovingly than the devil's going to because he's always prowling around seeking someone to devour. My friends, maybe you can guess what I'm going to say now. And that is that words won't do it. And what I mean by that is there's no way that I can adequately communicate to you by this sermon the experience of what we had in doing the stuff. The only way to experience doing the stuff is guess what? You've you got to do the stuff. You see, you and I, we can, we can buy our tickets as an entire congregation and we can drive over to the baseball stadium. We can watch baseball games all season long. But until you've bought that glove, do you, do you remember buying your first baseball glove? And, and until you've put it on your hand and you've smelled the leather, right, until you've sat on it under your rump to try to break it in and slept on it under your pillow and parked it under your dad's car to get it broken in to make it fit for a baseball game, until you've taken hold of the bat and swung it in your backyard and made your dad throw pitches to you until your hands bleed because the blisters have rubbed off, until you've hit the game-winning run or until you've struck out and cost your team the victory. You haven't played baseball. You've never done the stuff. All you've done is watched somebody else do it. Do you follow what I'm saying? Christianity is about doing the stuff. My suggestion to you this morning, my friends, is that at Christ the Redeemer, we're, we're doing the stuff, right? Planting a church is doing the stuff. 
We've gathered a community together. We've assembled that community to learn about the teachings of Jesus Christ, to worship Him in this holy and incredible place. Every time someone comes in the door, their, their thought is the same. Wow, this community has vibrant fellowship. And I can't believe what you've done with this shopping center in turning it into a sanctuary. It's beautiful space. And that's part of doing the stuff. But the rest of the just doing the stuff happens Monday through Saturday, right? Where we're out in the world outlasting the devil. And what I want to say to you about that is that your experience isn't going to look like my experience in Kampala. And I'll never have that experience again, right? But they're all going to look in some way like the experience of the gospel. Whether you're in your family sharing a story about the good news of Jesus Christ, in the workplace, in your schools, in your social environments, the point is that we do the stuff. If we can do it with baseball so emotionally, and it still brings tears to my eyes to think about those stories of how much I loved playing baseball, how much more with the saving grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and the hope of everlasting life. Should Christians rise up out of their pews and run into the streets joyfully, willingly, wantingly, hungry to do the stuff of the gospel? I've declared recently this, this church must be about discipleship. We live in an amazing country that celebrates some incredible virtues and awesome freedoms. But this isn't it. This country's not our home. And I think we all know that. And I think we all can look out at the condition of our country and see that this is our home. Heaven is our home. So that as we go out there and proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want you to hear the call to discipleship once again this morning. Can you hear Jesus speaking to you today just like He spoke to His disciples 2,000 years ago? My friends, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers to send out into His field. Are you praying for laborers? Because if someone over here is praying for a laborer and someone over here is praying for a laborer, guess what's happening? Both of you are probably going to end up being laborers somewhere in the field because you're praying for one another to go do that. And that's how it works. Praying for God to raise us up and to send us out. And let me close with this thought. Let's not ever be a congregation that thought about doing the stuff. And let's not just be a congregation that taught about do the, doing the stuff. My friends, knowing who Jesus is and this incredible news that He's given us, that God loves us, that Jesus forgives us, that the Holy Spirit wants to be with us forever, may I encourage you this morning, let's go do the stuff. Let's go do the stuff. To God be the glory now and forever. Amen.